this series called Going Places, and we begin this series really with a big idea. And the big idea was that God has a purpose and a plan for every single person's life. And you may have noticed as you've been here, uh, maybe you've been here throughout the course of this series, is I'll always start every message with that statement, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, because that really is sort of the, the, the heart behind this entire series, is in, in, ingraining in all of us that God has this unique purpose and plan for our life, and it doesn't matter where you've come from or who you've become since you've lived in Silicon Valley or anything about the past of your life, but it really has to do with where God wants to take you and who he wants you to become in the process of the journey of faith. And so the goal of this series was to create a framework, a framework for faith, because sometimes what happens is we enter into this faith journey and we don't have clarity about what God wants to do in our life. We don't have clarity about what he hopes to produce. And so this series for us has been helping us to identify some of these milestones of faith, what God intends to do with our life as we follow him. And so we're going to continue in the series, but I do want to give us a quick reminder uh, about uh, to talk a little bit about some of what we've covered already in the past weeks. So we started with stage one of the journey, the first milestone, and we framed it as being marked by faith, being marked by faith. And that for us was a conversation around salvation and baptism. And so salvation is this process, this phenomenon that happens within the human heart and in the soul where there is this point where you believe that what God has to offer is better than the life you're currently living. And so it's this point where you say, I'm going to turn from sin, what the Bible calls sin, and we've helped to define what sin is. That's anything in our life that is less than God's best for us. That is anything that we do in our life that limits our potential, that limits the divine nature and personality that God created us with. And so we turn from those things and we turn to trust in the promise that God has for us in his son Jesus. And so this is sort of the process of salvation that the Bible describes. And then we talk about baptism. And baptism is this outward expression of the inward transformation that took place in salvation. And so you, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we've gotten to share a lot of stories about people who have recently been baptized at the church. And it's been this really powerful thing where we see people being buried in this watery grave, being raised to walk in a brand new life in Jesus. And so that's really the beginning stage of, of faith, is being marked by faith. And then we talked in, about stage two, and stage two was really about being merged to a community. And the value of being a part of a community of faith is that it is really God's incubator for spiritual growth. Like we could talk about all these other things that you could do to grow in your faith, but the central thing that you can do is be tied to a community of people that are on the same journey that you're on, that they're walking the same direction that you are on. And it creates sort of this current of life transformation that you experience. And in that journey, in that community, you begin to grow and learn in different disciplines. So stage two, being merged to a community. And then stage three, we talked about being made for impact. And this was really for us, this conversation about discovering our purpose identifying that unique purpose that God created you for. And what we sort of concluded on was the thought that sometimes it is a process of trial and error, but one of the ways that we can make a beeline toward our purpose is to ask ourselves the, the question, what breaks our heart? And when we can answer the question, what breaks our heart, then it's helpful for us in identifying our purpose, our God-given purpose, and it's how we move from becoming 
from being a consumer in the church to becoming a contributor. And then finally, last week, we started a two-part conversation about multiplying your life, multiplying your life. And I really think that when we talk about spiritual maturity, this is the defining mark of spiritual maturity. It is when you are shaping in others what God has shaped in you. It is when you are shaping in others what God has shaped in you. And I find it really, really interesting and sometimes really discouraging to think about what my life multiplies, like what I reproduce in my life. And, and if you have children, your children are sometimes uh, just a really helpful, honest reminder of who you are. They're like a mirror. The other day, my son was yelling, my oldest son was yelling at my younger son, and he was saying, get off that chair, sit, get off right now, or you're going on timeout. And the sad part about the way that he talked to his younger brother is I think that he was mimicking the way that I talked to him. And so look, at no one's laughing. It's really sad. It's really sad. Apparently, we have perfect parents in the room who don't raise their voice at their children. But it's crazy to think about what we reproduce in our life. And this is sort of the foundational truth that I learned. You will always reproduce who you are. You will only reproduce who you are. You cannot reproduce anything else. Your nature will tend to reproduce itself in the lives that it comes in contact with. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of multiplication and how we can multiply our life and hopefully the, the, the good things about who we are. So to do that, we're going to look in the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And we'll be in Acts chapter 11, verse 22 through 26. And if you remember, I've been sort of repeating this same phrase over and over again every week. But the story of the book of Acts is really an account of the growth and the development of the early church. It was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a contemporary with the Apostle Paul, and he was a physician, also a historian, but also a travel companion with Paul, and they were on these different adventures together, which is one of the reasons why Luke had such intimate knowledge about how the early church developed the way that it did. And the point that Luke, the reason why Luke wrote the book of Acts is because he wanted to help people understand why the early church had the type of impact that it did in the first century. Because what we'll know is, is if we studied history, that they were not, the early Christians, the early church was not the only group of people claiming to have a divine message. But the question then is, why did it have the type of impact that it did separate and distant from, distinct from all the other groups? And Luke answers this question, and his answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that empowered this community of people. And so you guys probably remember a few weeks ago when I asked you to repeat that phrase where we said a community empowered by the Holy Spirit is an unstoppable force, an unstoppable force in any culture. And I really hope that, that it becomes sort of an anthem in our church, that we believe that at the core of who we are, that a community of people just like us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can impact our culture in any way that God sees fit. And there are no excuses that if God chooses to use us, we can do anything to impact and influence our culture in this community. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And if you remember last week, we were talking about how the strategy of the early church was to focus, at least for the first 15 years, the strategy 
and spreading the message of Jesus was focused on reaching other Jews for Jesus. And that made a lot of sense because Jews that sort of became Christians, converted to following Jesus, uh, were born out of this Jewish culture. And so the most natural thing for them to do was to reach other Jews. But something crazy happened. There was persecution that broke out in the city of Jerusalem. And when that happened, a bunch of people who were early believers in Jesus, they adopted this movement early on, they decided to flee the persecution, and they fled to some of the surrounding areas that were predominantly Gentile populations. And so a Gentile was anyone who was non-Jewish in culture or in ethnicity. And so they fled to these cultures. But what happened was really strange is that as these Jews, these believing Jews fled to these other cultures, they would still sort of direct themselves to these small Jewish populations in a Gentile culture. But then there was a group of what I like to refer to as entrepreneurial Christians who saw that there was this huge untapped market of people that weren't being reached for Jesus. And so what they did is they went to the city of Antioch and they began sharing the message of Jesus in a culturally relevant way to people who did not grow up in a Jewish culture. And what they saw was an explosion of life transformation. In fact, we read that it said that a large multitude of people became followers of Jesus. And you can imagine what it would feel like to be a part of an organization that immediately as they put their product to market, saw it gain momentum instantly. A few weeks ago when we started this series, Brandon and I came up with this idea that we were going to go viral on YouTube. That was sort of our plan. We were Right, Brandon? How, how confident on a scale of 1 to 10 were you that our videos were going to go viral? How confident? Scale of 1 to 10. An 8. So we were confident, right? We were absolutely, we were banking on it. We almost quit our jobs because of the income we were going to receive from YouTube. But that didn't happen. But we did get a few hundred views, and we were really thankful for that. But how exciting is it when, like, on your birthday, people post a bunch of comments on your Facebook page? Or how exciting is it when you post a pretty picture of being on vacation and you have a bunch of people liking your stuff, right? Doesn't it feel good to go viral? I've never experienced it before, but I imagine that it would feel good. But these guys, in an essence, this group of people shared the message with Jesus in this Gentile context, and they saw it take off, that lives were being changed in mass numbers of people among, in, within a culture. And this is what happened next. In verse 22, it says, When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. So sometimes when we talk about church, and we use that word, in our mind we have a picture of a building or a picture of the facility, but in this case when it's referring to the church of Jerusalem, it's referring to the community of people that identified themselves as followers of Jesus. And what we're learning is that when the news reached Jerusalem that this awakening had happened in the city of Antioch, they were sort of excited about it, but they also wanted to confirm that all the reports they heard were actually true. 
And so they sent one of their leaders, Barnabas, to go and sort of confirm everything they heard. And the reason they did this is because Jerusalem was the first church. It was the earliest church, and so they were sort of the the group of people that were helping to make sure that the message was being disseminated correctly. And so they sent Barnabas, and were told that when he gets there, everything he heard was exactly accurate according to the reports. Multitudes of people from that culture had come to faith in Jesus, and it says that his heart was filled with joy. And I also imagine that his heart was filled with so much excitement because most people had never seen anything quite like this before. That the potential of the gospel message had just widened in all of their minds. I think that if they walked into that city, Jerusalem was a big city, but, but in terms of a Gentile population, Antioch was one of the largest in the Roman Empire. And they must have thought that if the gospel message could have transcended this culture, it could transcend any culture. If the gospel message could have transcended this ethnicity or this diverse group of people, then it could go anywhere. And so this is what Barnabas does next. In verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So when Barnabas saw that there was a large group of people that had come to faith in Jesus, one of the things that he probably first recognized was that he was not capable of developing these people all by himself. And so we're told that he goes and he finds this guy named Saul, who we now know would later become the Apostle Paul, and he asks him to partner with him in this ministry. And one of the things that I love about Barnabas is that Barnabas is what I call a hero maker. Barnabas is one of those guys that probably had on his mouth the phrase, I see in you a lot. I see in you great potential. I see in you leadership qualities. I see in you someone who can change the world. Because at this point, Paul had accomplished absolutely nothing. In fact, his history would have suggested that most people keep a close, a far distance from him in terms of his relationship to Christians. Because Paul, for a long time, was called Saul, and he was the primary persecutor of Christians in the early church. But I love how Paul, Barnabas, could see something in Saul. And I think that all of us probably need a Barnabas in our life. All of us probably need someone to say, I see in you something that perhaps you cannot see in yourself. Or moments where we're feeling discouraged in life, feeling discouraged about our situation, We need people like Barnabas to say, I see in you that right now, maybe in your weakest moment, you are not who the mirror tells you 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 are. You're not who you say you are. You're something more. You're something more valuable. And I love that. But I also love how how this passage really paints for us a simple framework for developing a multiplication mindset. I love how this sort of helps us to understand how to reproduce in others what God has reproduced in us. And so the first point is that you cannot give away what you don't have. You cannot give away what you don't have. That is like the hardest thing to do. Have you ever tried to give away someone else's stuff? It doesn't work out. 
And I love that that was true of Barnabas. The, the one person that the, early, the, the church of Jerusalem sent to Antioch was Barnabas. And this is what it says about him. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and that he was strong in faith. So it's not surprising that Jerusalem, the committee and the leaders at Jerusalem, wanted to send someone who they were confident that if he reproduced himself, he was going to reproduce a community of people that were filled with the Holy Spirit and that were strong in faith. And I love how sometimes what God chooses to develop in us is really only born out of either discipline or hardship, right? Sometimes that is really where the most significant growth comes from in our life. It is in those hardest, dark moments of our life where we see God most clearly, but then it's also in the daily habits that we create in our life. Someone once said that you are the sum total of the decisions that you have made in the past. That is who you currently are. And I think about the decisions that Barnabas had made in his life and that he was currently making to become someone who could reproduce and develop something of value in other people's life. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of willingness to allow God to transform in your heart something that perhaps you can't transform on your own. But you cannot give away what you don't have. Barnabas could have never led that church if he had not allowed for God to do work in his life previously, to have transformed his own life personally. Secondly, it takes a village. Developing other people, developing in other people what God has done in you really does take a village. One of the hardest things to do is to do ministry all by yourself, to be engaged in the mission all by yourself. It is such a challenging season of life to be in, but to do it all by yourself, you, are, you really have no help in, in understanding where you are in the process, but it's always so helpful to have someone alongside you in the journey. And I love that in so many ways, that was Jesus's model for ministry. Whenever he would send people out to be on mission, he would always send them out in at least pairs because he knew that it's so difficult to do ministry by yourself, to be on mission by yourself. And one of the values of our church here at Eden is mission together. It is the belief that if we are charging the hill, if we are approaching the mission of God as a community of people, that our potential for influence is so much greater than if we were to do it on our own. And so that's exactly why Barnabas invited Paul into the process. He saw something in Paul that he wanted to be partnered with him in this mission. Number three, it's a process. It's a process. Multiplying your life in the life of someone else really is a process. It's a journey of life transformation, and rarely does it ever happen overnight. It is this slow, walking progress in the same direction, week after week, month after month, year after year, for a lifetime. It is a slow obedience in one direction over the course of a lifetime that you really begin to experience the impact of life transformation. But it's a process. And we're told here in this passage that Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas spent a year teaching large crowds of people. They taught them spiritual disciplines. We don't know exactly what it was. But what we do know is that when they were teaching them, what they were doing was creating a culture. And that's our fourth point. 
is that clarity creates culture. One of the greatest things in any organization that creates culture is language, right? When you start using the same language, you begin creating a culture. And when you use language that shapes your culture, it begins to shape your behavior and the way that people operate. And I love that in this passage, we're told that it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. That it was in this location before anyone had ever coined the term Christians, they started calling this community of people Christians. And so my hypothesis is that what Paul, Saul and Barnabas were teaching this group is, is something that was forming them in their nature. It was beginning to form their behavior. It was beginning to form the way that they thought about life, the way that they approached difficulties in life. It was beginning to shape a culture of people who others were identifying as Christians. And the term Christian means little Christ, to be a little Jesus. And so what does that mean? Is that there was this community of people and a culture that was beginning to mimic Jesus so closely that people on the outside were watching them and they were coming to the conclusion that this group of people were acting like Jesus. They were little Christs. And I love how when you have a strong culture that repeats itself over and over and over again, it begins to catalyze a movement. It begins to do something much bigger than it was intended to do. I love how movements are typically born out of personal life transformation that resonates deeply with the culture becomes a movement. And this is what happened with this group of people. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, this is what we read happens. It says, Among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, and Menaean, and Saul. And one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. What we are reading in this verse or in these verses was the beginning of the missionary movement of the early church. Because what they found that Antioch modeled was a pattern or a, a template for how you could share the message of Jesus cross-culturally. And so they picked up on this innovative process that Paul, that Saul and Barnabas developed when they were teaching in the church of Antioch and born out of this rebellious group, this entrepreneurial group that broke from the pattern of the early church and began ministering in this culture was what we see as the birth of the modern missionary movement or really the ancient missionary movement where they became convinced that the message and the hope of Jesus could transcend any culture that the message and love of Jesus could transcend any people group or any ethnic group. And the implications of what happened at Antioch in this season was it removed the lid of impact of the early church. Because at some point, if the early church had continued to only focus on reaching other Jews for Jesus, their impact in culture would have been limited. But this entrepreneurial group of believers 
saw the potential of reaching this community with that hope. This is the birth of the missionary movement. And I love missions. And from an early stage of our church, we really want that to be part of who we are, is that we are not just thinking about reaching and influencing our community here, but that we have a bigger vision, that we have the same type of vision that God had in the early church, is that there really should be no boundaries to the love of Jesus, and that every local church can play a part in reaching the world with that hope and that message. And so I'm so excited that I get to bring up one of our people, Kimitha Redman, and she, in my humble estimation, is the first person at Eden Church to be sent out on a missionary trip. And so I asked Kim if she would take a few minutes to share about her journey of uh, sort of coming to this point where missions became a valuable part of who you are. So let's welcome Kim. Good morning, everyone. So if you had told me 10 years ago that I would have a heart for church missions, I would have laughed at you, one. And I actually would have also even been slightly offended uh, because I did not really have an a open view of mission work. I was quite narrow, actually. Growing up and in my early adult years, I viewed mission work as dangerous, um, as naive, um, and it wasn't a view that I made up. This was a view that honestly was developed through just through history, just moments in history where mission work sometimes had a colonial, colonialistic agenda. So I found it to be, like I said, naive at best, but um, dangerous at worst. But in 2012, Seneca Creek Community Church, which was my home church at the time in Maryland, announced that they were developing a team of professionals um, healthcare, uh, administrative, et cetera, for a medical mission trip to Tanzania. And I felt a pull to go. And I was like, where is this pull coming from? It cannot be from me because I'm a very logical person. And I logically did not see how it was possible for me to go. One, I didn't think that I was genuine enough because I knew how I felt about mission work. But then I also was working a very demanding job, so I didn't think I would get time off. I was newly divorced and financially struggling, so I didn't think I would have the money to do it. And I was new to Maryland, so it wasn't like I had a strong community there yet who could be supportive of that effort. But the pool stayed there, the nudge was there, so I honored it and I went to the interest meeting. And Pastor Mark, the pastor, lead pastor at the church said, man, I was hoping that you would come to the meeting. They really could use you there. And I was like, how, one, how do you know me? <laughs> and, and, but, and two, where, why, what, where is that coming from? He was like, I just felt a nudge to ask you, and I didn't even have to because you came. So I honored that and said, well, Pastor Mark, I don't understand how, it's gonna, how this is going to work, but I feel a nudge as well, so I'm going to honor that. So I went through the process, and I started the planning. Most people think that the work of missions starts when you're physically present in the country. Not always. God assertively molded my heart in the months before actually going to Tanzania. I had several areas of my life that were quite broken during the time that I didn't even realize that God really was like, okay, 
I'm glad that you listened to the nudge. But now I'm going to need to work on you so you're ready to not only receive but also serve when you get there because I have a lot for you. So in those coming months, I had to work on areas like pridefulness, stubbornness, gosh. I hate asking for help. So a requirement of being on the team, whether you have the finances or not, was to ask for prayers and donations. I was like, ooh, asking for help from people? But I did, and I, I honored that nudge still from the very beginning, and I received love and prayers from people who are not even Christian, who was just so excited for me to do this work. And that was so encouraging and so eye-opening to just what God can do in anybody. Um, There was people who was like, oh, I would never do that. But I'm going to definitely be praying for you during that time because I feel like I'm going with you because you're going on our behalf. And that felt like a lot of pressure, (laughs) but still went. Uh, And another area that, a big area that I worked on was my understanding of the interconnectedness of the body of Christ. I am, like I said, very independent. So if I could have made it a one-woman show, that whole mission trip, I would have. I'm a project manager by profession, so I was like, I got this, guys. I'm going to just, just let me go by myself. I'll get get the work done. But there was absolutely no way that that trip would have been successful without absolutely every single person on that team. God placed every single person on that team with skills and gifts that some didn't even realize they had for the sake of that mission. So certainly that broke my heart and built it in new ways before the trip. When I actually got to the, the to Tanzania, it was hard, really hard. <laughs> um, so I thank God for all that he did uh, in building me um, and preparing us for that trip. But it was amazing. My heart of stone was truly turned to flesh on that trip. I was opened to so many ways that God is able to just pierce through cultural language barriers and show his love to anybody, honestly. And I saw what it looked like when God's people joined together to reach those who are deemed unreachable. Um, And I went there with what I thought was a big plan. My big plan was, I'm going to go. I'm going to serve as many people as possible. I'm going to help them with their medical needs. And I'm going to say, thank you, you know, you know, thank God, and go home. And that was certainly accomplished. We saw over 900 patients during that trip. But God had such bigger plans on that trip as well. Um, I decided to become a nurse during that trip. Uh, God just was like, why? I had always wanted to work in healthcare, but God really was like, what are you waiting for? I didn't think I was capable of it, but he stretched me in ways there that I was like, well, God, maybe I do have that potential. I also saw the potential of God's people um, in when we are exhausted. We, we can get a lot done, of course, when we're well-rested And uh, we think, oh, I got the energy. I had my coffee today. Um, But I saw what it looked like when God's people are completely poured out, fasted, hungry, tired, and how he is able to multiply that. 
to the point now that when I'm sleep deprived, I uh, know that. I'm like, oh, God, this is going to all be you because I know when I only get one hour of sleep, you just really, really show off because then I can't say it was me. There were many days during that trip that I just knew, oh, this is not me. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I am, feel like I'm dying inside. My heart is being broken by the amount of health care needs, and yet you are just... I mean, doing so much. You're allowing our little bit of resources to absolutely be multiplied to be able to serve hundreds, hundreds of people. So certainly my life had, you know, has been changed for the better. Um, I'm heading to Tanzania again next month for the fourth time. I go every other summer now. Um, I like to say that I'm used to it, but I'm not. Uh, it still breaks my heart. Uh, it still pours me out in ways that I didn't know was possible. But I'm no longer afraid of that. I, I used to fear working in deficit, like, oh, gosh, today's going to be awful because I'm, I'm exhausted. I couldn't eat. My stomach was upset, whatever. Now I'm not afraid of that because I see what it, what it looks like when God, like, fills the gap and then goes beyond. Um, it's, it's, it still is difficult to do. I am... Um, in the weeks approaching the trip, I always deal with a little bit of depression because you just know like what you're going to be seeing. But each trip, I am also able to build hope as well because I've seen what he's done on those trips too. So if that's like my, if I was to pick one big thing to be what God uh, had done on a trip for absolutely every person, not only those who we served, but those who came there to serve, was really open our eyes to the hope in Christ. Because And just what you think you can do, he can take it to another level. What you think is not curable, he can still have you be able to live and thrive in those moments. And I've seen hugs cure people, literally, because they might have came there because they had an illness, but they also really had a broken heart. And I never asked a health, now, especially now as a healthcare professional, I thank God for, those, for that now. Because now as a nurse... I can see how my love to my patients um, is immeasurable. It can do immeasurably more than a shot or a dressing change, you know. Like, so that's something that I hope that everyone um, will consider that, like, you might not think that you have what it takes for missions work, but believe me, God will make it whatever you have be enough. So inside of your programs, I just want to make sure I don't forget uh, is a prayer card. A lot of my friends uh, and colleagues are not Christian, uh, which is totally okay because, like I said, God has opened my eyes to seeing just how Christian, believer and non-believer, uh, really has been supportive and have really encouraged me during this trip. The front of the card is in Swahili. I just want you to know that, that what it says is serving together. And I love that uh, because that is also part of what Eden has been committed to as well with mission together. And that truly is the only way that is possible. God will take two people, five people, whatever it is, who if they're committed to serving together, he can do immeasurably more. The same way he can multiply fish and bread, he will do that same thing in your heart and with your skills too. So I just ask that at any point in time between now and when we leave in August that you will just... Um, if your heart um, is open to it, 
um, pray those prayers with us, and I'll, I'm praying those prayers every day um, just as our team continues to build up in, in preparation and once we're in country. Thank you. All right, Kim, thank you so much for sharing that. And, uh, and I just love that because part of what she is doing really was born out of this mentality that was developed early on in the culture of the early church was this missionary mindset to go and to share the message in cultures beyond our own. And so I love that Kim is doing that. And, uh, and I do want to encourage us to be praying for Kim as she goes on her trip. There's a lot of complexities that ha happen uh, leading up to a trip, uh, preparing for that trip, and then even while they're there, especially since they're on a medical-focused mission trip. And then I'm also excited to announce that in 2019, Eden is going to be taking a group of people on her own mission trip. So we'll give you all the details when those come in, but we're committed to being a part of missions uh, early on in the life of this church. And so I want to close out today's message with just one question, one question, maybe two. But the challenge this week maybe is for you to consider, what is your life multiplying? What is your life producing? What are you reproducing with who you are? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time this morning. We thank you for all that you're doing in the life of this church. God, we thank you for people like Kim who are taking those next steps of faith to reproduce in others what you have done in her. God, that she's sharing the love and the hope that was so vital in her own testimony. She's giving that away to other people. She's serving them in tangible ways. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. God, I pray that you would bless her trip. I pray for her team. I pray for the others who are also figuring out all the details in preparation for the trip. God, that you would just give them clarity in the weeks leading up to their travels. And God, that you would just bless their words and their time with people that that, God, you would heal people, and, Lord, that you would transform lives and transform hearts. God, we thank you for this community, and I pray that, God, you would help to develop us, that you would grow in us something that we can give away to others, that we could develop in other people's lives. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for all that you're doing in your son's precious name. Amen. <laughs>